Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian and I pastor that location and it's good to talk to you again. Have you ever had an argument with someone and when it was over you thought to yourself, where did that come from and how do I stop that from happening again? Well, as we continue our walk through the book of James, James answers that very question for us. He tells us where the fights and arguments we have come from and how we can stop them for good. It's an important message, so I hope you enjoy it and I hope you listen closely because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. Well, I'd invite you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open that up and turn to James chapter 4. If you would like, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. Uh, You can grab one of those, or if you use an app on your phone or tablet, you can open up that as well. We're going to be in James chapter 4, and if you're not too familiar uh, with the Bible, you can go to the table of contents, and James is almost at the end of the New Testament. So you go down the table of contents list there in the New Testament, and you'll find James towards the end. You can open up there, chapter 4. We'll read those verses. Uh, Actually, we'll read a few verses uh, at a time as we go through our time together this morning. Let me ask you this uh, question as we begin. Have you ever had the opportunity, the enjoyment, uh, to try and reason with a toddler or a young child who is upset about something? Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever had the experience of having a child throwing a temper tantrum in front of you and trying to reason with them and trying to explain to them why they should not be so upset? And if you've never uh, done this before, if you've never had the, the enjoyment of doing this, uh, you've certainly seen it happen. You've sat on an airplane and you've heard this happening behind you and just wishing you had a parachute or something to get out of that situation. You've been checking out at the store and you've seen this happen where the child decides they're very upset about something and then you are in a position as an adult where you're trying to reason with them and explain to them why they should not be so upset. Last night we went to the town tree lighting in our town, and uh, they were giving away hot chocolate. And so we all got hot chocolate. And um, after a while, my son Jackson had left his hot chocolate in the cup holder of our stroller. And he's four years old, and the hot chocolate was cold. It had been sitting there for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And so we were passing the trash can. We threw away all our empty cups and said, surely he's done with this. Well, you know what happened. A few minutes later, Jackson came back and he said, where's my hot chocolate? And now you're in this position uh, where you, you need to explain to him that you've thrown it away, but it's not that big of a deal. Like, let's not lose our minds here. It's really not that big of a deal. But in his mind, uh, it's the biggest deal. Uh, there is no other bigger deal than the fact that his hot chocolate is now gone. And so I said to him, we thought you were done, uh, buddy. So we threw it away. Now, you may not react like this, but any normal four-year-old would react like this. There's a lot of falling over, there's a lot of screaming, there's a lot of rolling on the ground. You know how it goes, right? And so I said to him, guess what? Good news. We will get you more hot chocolate. It was being given away for free uh, by the good people of some bank, and we will go back to the bank table, and we will get you more hot chocolate. So his uncle set off to get him more hot chocolate. We hung out. A little while later, uh, you know, I discovered that the hot chocolate was gone. It was all gone. And so I just didn't say anything because I knew what would happen. And so, of course, five minutes later, ten minutes later, 
after we had gotten the free popcorn and other things, he still said to me, Dad, where is that hot chocolate that I was supposed to get? And now I'm in the same situation. And I said to him, uh, you know, I, what I wanted to say was, Jackson, I want you to gain some perspective here. Uh, all over the earth, there are wars... And, and problems and earthquakes. And, and there was one, you know, even the, the people in Alaska, unfortunately, are dealing with this. And, and, uh, and you know, there's all sorts of problems. And, and guess what? Most of the world has zero access to hot chocolate. They can't even get it. Good news, I have hot chocolate at home. When we get home, I'll give you the hot chocolate. But I couldn't give him all that perspective. I just had to say to him, buddy, I'm sorry they're out of hot chocolate. And of course, the same scene repeats itself. Now, as an, adult, as an adult, you're sitting there and you're looking at the child and you're saying to yourself, it's not that big of a deal. Like, I know your balloon just left your hand and is now up with the birds, but we'll get you a new balloon. Or I, I, I know that... You know, I know that you wanted this thing. I know you want candy, but, but it's not a great thing for you to have right now. And so we're not going to buy it. And you wish you could reason with them as to why. In fact, in many of the cases, you're trying to teach them something that will be good for them long term. It's not good to get everything you want when you want it. That's a good thing to learn. That's not how life works. And so you're trying to impart to them something that's good, that's actually not that valuable. You think this is valuable. It's not that valuable. So don't waste your time and energy on it. It's not valuable. Or watching a screen for 20 hours a day is not a good idea. So we're going to shut the screens off for a little while. You're trying to teach them something that's valuable. But all the child knows, all they know, is you're standing in the way between what they want, between them and what they want, you're impeding their progress. They see a shiny object that they want. They see the desire of their heart, that thing that's going to make them happy. And all they know is hot chocolate will make me happy. Another balloon will make me happy. A candy bar will make me happy. More toys will make me happy. And when you step in the middle and you say no, you become the thing that stops them from getting what they want. The beginning of the passage that we're going to look at this morning, James asked an important question, a question that I ask myself and I'm sure you ask yourself. He asked this question. He says, why are there so many fights and quarrels among you? Why do you fight so much with each other? Now, some of us, I mean, we, we, we couldn't even get up this morning and get to church without some sort of fight ensuing, whether that was uh, brother to sister or, or wife and husband or, or whatever the situation might have been, driver to driver on your way here this morning. Uh, some of us, we couldn't even get out of bed this morning and get here by, by 9 o'clock without having some sort of fight or quarrel among us. Why does that happen? Well, what James is going to tell us, and what we may not want to admit, but is kind of true, so we really haven't grown up as much as we think we have. Now that same deal that we faced when we were the young child and we wanted the toy. We were the young child and we wanted the candy bar. We were the young child and we wanted the balloon or hot chocolate or fill in the blank. And someone stood in our way. James says we really haven't grown up as much as we think we have. In fact, this is what he says in verses uh, 1 through Three, this is important. If you've ever asked yourself this question, why is there so much tension in the world? Why do I get so 
upset over things that don't matter. Do you ever do that? You ever get into an argument with a family member or a close friend or a, a coworker, and at the end of the argument, you say to yourself, that doesn't even matter. Why did I get so upset about that? It wasn't even an important thing. If you've ever asked yourself a question like that, it's an important passage for you. This is what James says in, in chapter 4. We're just going to read verses 1 through 3 right now. He said, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you do not ask be, and you, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is what James says. You want to know why there's so much fighting and quarreling among people? Among you, he says, and he's specifically talking to church people. So James is saying, looking at churches, and churches are arguing and fighting with each other. Christians are arguing and fighting with each other. And James is saying, you want to know why there's so much fighting and quarreling among you people, all you people? And here's what James says in these first few verses. He says this. He said, the battles among you, the fights among you, the quarrels among you, whether that's within the church or within your family or within your friendship or within your work, all those, those quarrels and fights among you, those battles are caused by a battle within you. And all the battles among you, husband, wife, brother, sister, parent, child, coworker, boss, all those sorts of things, driver to driver, all of those quarrels, all those battles that are among you are caused by a battle within you. In that first verse, this is what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. That word passions, the Greek word there, is the word hedone, which we get our English word hedonism, that pursuit of pleasure, that pursuit of joy. See, James is saying, here's the, here's the issue. You have in your mind those things that you think are going to make you happy in life those things that you think are going to fulfill your deepest longings and desires. You have in your mind that if you could just get your hands on those things, that finally you would be happy and your soul would be fulfilled and everything would be going great. That's what you have in your mind. And whatever the bright, shiny object is for you, it's different for all of us, right? But we have something in our head that we think is going to make us happy. Fill in the blank, whatever you think it is. It could be... A, a new car, could be a new house, could be a different relationship, could be a better job, it could be more money, it could be better friends. But we have in our mind something that we think if we could just get that thing, it would make us happier. It can be as simple as the restaurant we want to eat at that night or, or the way we want to handle our calendar that day. If I could just handle my calendar this way today, I'll be happy. And James says, we have in our mind those things, those passions, those desires. And here's what happens. Somewhere along the line, someone steps in the middle of that. And they stand in a place that impedes our ability to get that which we want and we believe is going to make us happy. And someone gets in the way of all of that and stands in the middle. So, you say to yourself, you know what would make me happy? is to leave work and just drive straight home. There'd be no problems, and I get home as quickly as I possibly can. 
what happens is there's an accident and there's traffic. Or uh, someone pulls in front of you and decides to drive 5 to 10 miles an hour below the speed limit. And all of a sudden, something rises up inside of us, and we begin to say to ourselves, and whether we have the fight internally or we have the fight with our car horn and our gestures and our lights, uh, we begin to have a problem with the way that police officer is directing the traffic and the way the other people are merging and the way this person is driving and the speed at which they're going. Because we have in our mind that getting to our place on time or being home at a certain time or whatever it is is going to make us happy and satisfied and this person in front of me is stopping me from getting there. And it doesn't just happen on the road. I mean, it happens in our homes. It happens in our work. But James says to us, this is the, this is the source of all your, your challenges, all your problems. You, you think your fights and quarrels. You think if, if these people let me have what I wanted, then I would be happy. And it doesn't just happen individually. James is talking to the church. See, you're fighting with each other because you think that you have this shiny object that if that, if that happened, if your way happened, everyone would be happy or you would be happy. And when other people stand in the way, you fight with them. I read this week about a church that split and dissolved because uh, they had a meeting as to whether or not they were going to buy a new pulpit. This was not a long time ago. This was just a couple of years ago. They had a meeting, and they, they were trying to decide if they were going to purchase a new pulpit. And the church divided into the old pulpit people that said, let's keep the one we have, and the new pulpit people uh, who said that they need, a new one needed to be purchased. And so these people said, if we keep the old one, the church will stay the way that it is, and our church will be best. It'll be best that way. And these people said, I'll be happiest if we get a new pulpit. That's the problem with our church is that old pulpit. People see that. They don't want to come to church here. We need a new one. And the fighting got so contentious between the two sides that when a new pulpit were purchased and this side won and this side had their deepest needs and desires finally fulfilled, this side left the church. And it seems so silly, doesn't it? It seems like we should be able to get over those kinds of things, but if we're honest with ourselves right right now, it may not be over a pulpit. There are things in our lives that are no more important than a cup of hot chocolate. And man, if someone stands in the way of us getting those things, they make us late. <laughs> if, 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 if they affect our schedule or affect our decision making, if they don't let us get done at work what we want to get done, it drives us crazy. James is saying, here's, here's the thing, and, and, and it's not just on the small things, it, it works its way into our relationships. And we start to think to ourselves, if I could get rid of this person, I would finally be happy. If I could get rid of this thing that is causing me not to get that what I, which, which I really want, if I could get rid of that, then I would finally be happy. It's like the old couple that lived in a nursing home, and they had been married for over 60 years. And they fought with each other so contentiously that finally the director of the nursing home came to them and they said, if you don't cut this out, we are kicking you out of the nursing home. And so the husband and wife were mulling this over and the wife finally said to her husband, I think I know how we can stop fighting. I think we should pray that one of us dies. And she said to her husband, and after your funeral, I'll go live with my sister. 
But we start to think like that. Maybe not that morbidly, but we start to think like that. If I could just, if this person would just get out of my way, if, this, if my spouse or my husband or if this person would get out of my way and just let me do what I want to do, I would finally be happy. And James says, these external battles that you think are about somebody else, they're really about you and your desire for that thing. Because what happens is it not only happens with people, but it also happens with God. It not only happens with people, it also happens with God. Look at what he says next in the next couple of verses. In verse 4, verse 5, he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And this is what James says. Don't you realize that, that you make yourself an enemy of God? Because here's what happens. We have our passions, our desires in our mind, that thing that we think will make us happy, the career, the family, the whatever it is. And at some point, not only do just people get in the way of that, but you know who else gets in the way of what we want sometimes? is God himself, doesn't he? Because we have in our mind, we have in our mind that if we just made more money, that we would somehow be happy and fulfilled. And then God comes in and he says, it's not going to make you happy. Don't pursue that. Or we have in our mind that if we are allowed to pursue our life or our sexuality or anything like that, the way that we want to do it, that we will finally be fulfilled and happy. And God comes in and he says, don't, don't do that. And we will follow God, many of us. We have this own battle with God in our minds. We will follow God as long as we are convinced that God will give us the thing that we want. As long as God is on board with our plan to get us where we want to go, we want our best life now, and as long as that's how God works, that he just gives us what we want when we want it, we will worship God. But the second God steps in and says no, or the second God steps in and says, wait. Or the second God steps in and says, no, 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 go this direction. We have the same battle. We start fighting with God the same way we would fight with any other person who would stand in our way between what we want and our ability to get it. And some of us go as far to say, okay, then I'm done with God. Then I'm done with God. If God's not going to help me get what I want, then I'm done with him. And James says you can't have it both ways. See, if your desire, if your shiny object, if your, if your thing that you're pursuing your whole life around is something in this world, if that's the whole purpose of your life and what you're going after, God says something very different. God says something very different. The world says you will find ultimate fulfillment and pleasure and happiness here. God says you will not find it here. You will find it in me. The world says, pursue your desires and your wants and your needs. If you feel something, you should go after it. God says, you should check those things and see if they line up with what I say. And so what the world says and what God says are, are diametrically opposed to each other. And James says, don't you get this? If you say, I'm going after with what the world says, then you are positioning yourself as an enemy of God. 
you will always be fighting and quarreling and battling with God. Because what God wants for you is different than what the world wants for you. And he says, there is this war going on inside of you all the time. Now, I haven't, I haven't lived, I've lived through, through our, our country being in war, but I, I've never lived through what I would what I'd call, or when I read historically, like a real war time, where the battle is so big that it affects everything around you. But some of you, some of you know what this is like. That even though a battle is happening somewhere else in the world, it affects everything about day-to-day life. Because friends and relatives aren't around you, they're off fighting. Or food is being rationed. Or gas is being rationed. Or people are having to take jobs they wouldn't normally take because those workers are off fighting a battle. You know what I'm talking about? Like when I read about the U.S. in the Second World War, like that's what it feels like to me. That every part of daily life was affected because somewhere else there was a battle going on. And James says to you, you need to recognize that underneath in your heart and in your mind, there's a battle going on all the time. And it is affecting your daily life every single day. And the battle is between what you desire and what God desires for you. And James says, you need to recognize that that's happening. And if you have this question as to why is there so much fighting and why is there so much quarreling and why, why are we always upset, James said, it comes right from this place. You've decided you want certain things, and anything that stands in that way, including God, that stops you from getting it, you're going to either battle with or dismiss. James says it's gotten so bad in the church that there's even been murder. Now, there's some, there's some talk over whether or not James is being literal here, but he might be. And I think back, do you ever watch the Dateline Mysteries? You ever watch those shows? I haven't watched a lot of them, but it's been on for 48 years or whatever it's been on. And so, and so I've seen enough over the years that the storyline is, is similar, isn't it? It's always, a, it's always a murder that's being investigated that's left unsolved. And when the crime is finally solved, the person who has taken the life of another person has done so because that person stood between them and what they wanted. They were married. They wanted out. Person had a life insurance policy. They wanted the life insurance. They wanted the money. The person had something of value. The person was, was uh, succeeding greater than them in their work, and that person wanted to succeed. That person is going after something that the other person has that's become their shiny object. If I could just be free, if I could just have that job, if I could just have that money, then I would be happy, and it consumes them to the point that they're willing to kill to get it. And now most of us are, I hope all of us, are not at that place. But you understand the progression, right? And we know what that feels like, to want something, and when someone stands in the way, battle with them. The question is, what do we do? What do we do here? If this is the reality that we have these desires for worldly things, and that other people and God stand in the way, and it causes this problem, this contention, this this fight, this battle, that our entire lives are affected by this internal war that's going on inside of us, what do we do? Well, James says to us that your internal battle requires an internal solution. Your internal problem requires an internal solution. It's more than just learning how to deal with your anger. It's not unimportant to get some tips on how to deal with anger. 
But James says an internal problem requires an internal solution. And he says very clearly in verse 6, if you look at the first few words of verse 6, I think those are the most significant words of the entire passage. The most comforting words of the entire passage. That in the midst of the battle, God gives more grace. See, no matter how hard you're fighting against God, no matter how much you've rejected God, no matter how hard you're fighting against other people, no matter what it is that you're dealing with, that you feel like you need to do whatever it takes to get a hold of that thing, and anything that stands in your way, you've done things that you're not proud of. You've said things that you're not proud of. You've gone behind people's backs and you're not proud of it. You've manipulated people or done things to people that you're not proud of, and you would never tell any of us that you've done it. James says to you, listen, God offers you more grace. Whatever you're facing, whatever you've done, whatever you said, God offers you more grace. How do we get it? How do we receive it? Well, James tells us very clearly in the last few verses of this section. We're going to read through verse 10. Verse 6 says, but he, that's God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll, he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. James gives us a lot of imperatives there. Things that we are to do. We're to humble ourselves and cleanse ourselves and purify ourselves and submit to God. But if we had to sum it all up, here's what I think James is telling you and me. You want to find rest? You want to find relief from the daily fight and battle? You want to find relief from the contention between you and God and you and other people? James says there's two things you need to do. The first is you need to admit that your pursuit of these pleasures is a dead end. How many celebrities and rich people in our culture have to have awful lives and challenges for us to realize that if we get those things, we won't be fulfilled? I mean, we keep thinking that if we just got it, it would fulfill us. Even though everyone we know that's gotten it, that's not what's fulfilled them. In fact, uh, the Scottish philosopher, uh, John McMurray, he said, the best cure for hedonism is an attempt to practice it. Just try it out and see if it makes you happier. Go after it. Give up everything you have to get more money and see if you're a happier person. Manipulate people. Go past people. Fight with people. Argue people to get what you want and see if you feel great about it. The first thing we have to do is admit that our pursuit of whatever our shiny object is is ultimately a dead end. That it will not fulfill our greatest needs and desires the way we think it will. And the second thing that James says to us is that we need to make God himself the object of our desire. That rather than God being that thing that gets us to the end, 
that gets us to the thing that brings us ultimate pleasure, that we submit ourselves, we, we come repentant to him, we put ourselves underneath his authority, and we make him the object of our desire. And what James is saying is, James is not saying don't pursue pleasure, don't pursue passion. James is saying you will find ultimate uh, pleasure, ultimate fulfillment, if you make God the object of your desire. It could so easily, we come into church and for some reason we think that God's about killing our fun and killing our joy. No, God's about giving us ultimate expression of joy in him, in something that can actually fulfill our greatest needs and our desires the way the things of this earth could never do. And in Psalm uh, 16, verse 11, an old prayer written thousands of years ago, this is what the psalmist writes. He said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. And James is not coming to you and saying, you have desire for pleasure. You know what the problem is? Your desire for pleasure. Get rid of your desire for pleasure. That's not what James is saying at all. James is saying, you have a desire for fulfillment and pleasure. Here's the problem. It's misguided. You're pointing it at things that can't give you what it is that you're looking for. And so you're fighting, you're bickering, you're quarreling, you're murdering, you're doing all you have to do because you're, you're going after something that you think is going to fulfill you, but it's not going to ultimately do that. You want grace? You want rest from the daily battle? Make God the object of your desire, James says. Why are there so many fights and quarreling among us? I mean, if you think about it, this works in explaining why there's so, many, so much political fighting. It works in explaining why there's so much fighting in our families, at our workplace, because everyone's coming in with their idea of what they think will make life worth living, what they think will bring them happiness, what they think will bring fulfillment. And when someone else comes along and says... No, the fight begins. James says the only way to get past that is to stop buying the lie that any of your ideas are going to bring you ultimate fulfillment or pleasure. And humble yourself enough, submit yourself to God, and pursue Him alone. Our worship team is going to come, and as they do, I want to share with you a prayer. I think one of the questions with a sermon is like this, is say, okay, what do I do with this now? What do I do with this? This idea that, okay, yeah, I get it. I want to get home. The person pulls in front of me. They slow me down. I get angry at them. I get it. Like, I understand how this works conceptually, but what do I do about this? So I want to challenge you this week to begin every morning this week the same way. And that is using a prayer that was written a long time ago in the 1600s by, by a, a pastor, a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter. This is what he would pray. He would get up and he would say, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, when thou wilt. You can update the language. That's fine. God, whatever you want, wherever you want it, whenever you want it in my life. God, whatever you want. Not what I want. Not what I think is going to be happy. God, whatever you want for my life, 
wherever it takes place, wherever you want me to go, wherever you want me to be, and whenever it's supposed to happen. That's what I want. If we could have that perspective, the battle would subside. And so what I challenge you this week, would you write that somewhere? Would you put it on a post-it note? Would you, would you take the card, your bulletin card, and put it somewhere where you'd see it? And start your day with that each week. God, whatever you want, wherever you want it, whenever you want it. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m., and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.